All right, let's go to work. Here we go. Uh, so listen, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, this is the fourth and final part of our current series called Purpose, Seeing the Invisible. Purpose, Seeing the Invisible. Y'all ready to dig in the word today? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Lord, we just believe today, God, that we're not here by accident. Lord, you uh, have brought us here today, Lord, because it's been your will for us to be here. Lord, you don't ever uh, bring us to a place without speaking to us. And so, Lord, today we just invite you, God, to to have your way in our hearts. We invite you, uh, God, to come and to speak loud and clear to our lives today. And so, Jesus, we just choose to open our ears and open our heart and open our eyes to receive from you today. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your anointing. Come with great power. We come to brag on you. Do what only you can do today. You're the one that said in your word, God, that uh, as your word goes forth, God, that you would accomplish for that which you sent it. And so, Lord, today, send your word. Lord, it let, Lord, let it land on people's hearts today and let it just produce great fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. amen. You all say Amen. Listen, I'm ready to preach this morning, so I hope you guys are ready to get, like, uh, southern loud with me today, all right? All right, so listen, for the past three weeks, we've been talking about how uh, God has created each one of us with a divine purpose, yes? Listen, if you know it or not, God wants us to be confident in that divine purpose. He wants you to know today that, guess what, that purpose didn't come from somebody else that is as brilliant as you are. You didn't dream it up. You didn't make it up. In fact, he wants you to know today that this divine purpose was birthed from his heart, that it was handcrafted, it was handpicked with you in mind. And after he handcrafted it, he decided to, guess what, he decided to deposit it deep in the recesses of your heart. Amen? So listen, in fact, let me let me just show you this. You can look up on the screen. In fact, when God fashioned us in our mother's womb, he intentionally selected our unique blend, our unique mix of gender, physical appearance, personality, temperament, our likes and dislikes, our strengths and our weaknesses, our talents and our abilities and our spiritual gifts. For why? So that they would fit and so that they would equip us for our divine purpose. Amen. So listen, if you can kind of get this picture today and if maybe a few of you guys can help me out, I don't know how I'm going to do do this. Um, one of these days I'm going to grab me a mic that I don't have to hold on to. But listen, it's, it's this, that when you and I, it's what's so beautiful about when we discover, when we connect with our divine purpose, what happens is, is literally we find our purpose and then we come alive. And then what happens over here is, guess what, when we find that purpose, literally that the passion and that excitement floods our hearts. And then at that moment, guess what? We find the joy of what it means to partner with God. And then what happens? We begin to do what? Let me find you over here. That we begin to bear fruit for the kingdom. And then we come over here to stretch. And guess what? Stretch begins to advance the kingdom. And then here's what happens is literally we get up here and we, you know, we found our purpose. We come alive. Passion and excitement hits us. We're finding joy of partnering with God. We're bearing fruit. We're advancing the kingdom. And then what happens is, is in that moment, y'all help me out here. Come on, stretch. Help me out. Okay, that'll work too. But here's what happens is that that we begin to see the bigger picture of how our small piece fits perfectly in his overarching big purpose, big dream for the entire human race. Do you get that? That literally that as we begin to engage, when we begin to connect, when we begin to grab a hold of God's purpose, we begin to connect to the greater purpose that God's doing in this. So y'all stay right there. Stay where you're at. But listen, but but it's here in this moment that I've realized that over the years that that one of the main reasons that people don't step out to their purpose, one of the things that hinders them the most from, uh, from literally getting out there is they can't look past something that we saw in that list a while ago. Let's throw it back up. Listen, it says, is it, no, the list. Go to the next one. Yeah, there you go. L- listen, and we look in the list and it says this. This thing that hinders us. 
We look at our gender. We look at our physical appearance. We, we look at our personality, our temperament, our likes and dislikes. And then we just can't look past this. Our strengths and our what? Listen, it's there at that moment that we get hung up because we get stuck on our weaknesses. That no, Literally, that we know and we believe that God's given us his purpose. He's given us his dream. But then we sit there and right before we go step out, we remember us. And we stop and we literally, we literally uh, let me maybe say it this way. It's like you're revving the car up and then you pop it in neutral. So watch this. So I'm clear today. I, I want to make something really clear. And, and please don't miss this or you'll miss everything. I am not talking about sin today. When I use the word weakness, I'm not talking about sin. I, I, I'm not talking about a, a deep personality issue at all. I'm just talking about just natural weaknesses because the bottom line is God didn't make you perfect. Husbands, I know that was a revelation about your wife right there. Listen, it's this thing that, guess what? If you have sin, if you, if you do have a deep, you know, listen, if you're a jerk, go, go squared away with God, please, for the rest of us, okay? But if you've got a deep sin, take it to God. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, once again, that when we look at all these people, every one of them have natural strengths, and then all of them have just natural weaknesses. Now, to kind of give you a thing, if you've been coming to the class on Wednesday nights, uh, you, you know, just so you understand a little better, we, we, we've been talking about this Myers and Briggs personality testing, and there's, and there's basically these 16 groupings that you can be a part of, and then there's these letters. You're either introvert or an extrovert. You're either a person that uh, is all in the details, or you walk in a room and you kind of fill the atmosphere. You're either what they call a T or an F, and an F is a person, which is my wife, that says, uh, you know, me, I want to say it like it is. She goes, well, how's it going to make people feel? And then the last one, which is probably my favorite to watch, is, is this. It's the difference between a J and a P. And a J is a person that's this. It, they are so caught up in the details. They love their schedule. they got to live by it. And if anybody, uh, you know, uh, messes up their schedule, oh, hell breaks loose. Not really. But, but they just have a really hard time going with the flow. And then the P person is the person that's spontaneous. They just want to enjoy the journey. Are you following me? I'm definitely a P, okay? And, and, and then, you, then you take those, those J's, man, they drive me up the wall. <laughs> but, but watch this. So, so that's what I'm talking about. You know, more than likely, here, right here, you have some people that are P's and you have some people that are J's. You have some people that are the thinkers, uh, the people that are the fillers, that literally that there's ways that God's deposited in every one of them. Go back to that list again, please. That literally, we can look, different genders. Different physical appearance, even though Kyla and I look very much alike this morning. There, there, there's, you know, and there you go. So, you know, we're not that off. But anyways, so our personalities are different. Our temperaments are different. Everybody's likes and dislikes and strengths and weaknesses. So you guys getting the point. Talents and abilities are different. I can't play the bass. I can't play the drums. I can't fix the car. I can't do those things. Right. And, and then it comes down to spiritual gifts. Are you with me this morning? So y'all hang tight. So here's the question I have. Is how many times have we mentally disqualified ourselves from God's purpose because of our weaknesses? Watch this. Let me put it another way. Have you ever felt inadequate? Have you ever felt like if you were more talented, maybe if you were smarter, or maybe you had a greater ability like some of those other people you see, you could step out and do something for God? You get that, or maybe you could think like this, or maybe I just wish, man, if I had something that this guy has, I could do a better job at what God's called me to do. Listen, I definitely know, and all of you guys are saying, yes, I know I have and I know I do. 
I, I listen in and of myself. I have felt uh, very inadequate for every assignment God's ever given me. In fact, I currently feel very inadequate to be the pastor of this church. Listen, so because what happens is, is I go down that list and like most of you, if somebody sat down with me and said, hey, tell me your strengths and tell me your weaknesses. I can rattle off some weaknesses. You ask me about my strengths. Uh. And, and here's what's so amazing. Watch this. I read this. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But but I read this other day that that every person has a 500 to 700 abilities. And I struggle to give you my top three. And I know I'm not the only one in the room. See, here's the thing. In, in and of myself, those things feel like they're truth, right? They feel like they're true. But in God, they are not the truth. Are you with me today? It's because, listen, because the truth is, is God doesn't make mistakes. He didn't get me confused with someone else. You know, he didn't accidentally call me to this role. Right. In other words, when when uh, when I was praying, you know, what, three January's ago now, and, and God spoke and said, you're going to go pastor a church in Maine. The Holy Spirit didn't run off from that that conversation I had with him and then run to the father and go, oh, my gosh, I just told the wrong person. <laughs> right. First, you know, and the father's like, well, we're stuck now, you, you know. <laughs> See, his word tells us that he puts us in the body as he sees fit. Listen, he has equipped me with everything that I need to fulfill my purpose. So in the eyes of God, I am adequate just as much as you are 100 percent adequate to do what he's called you to do. Amen. Amen. So listen, here's the thing. When we talk about our weaknesses, notice the reason I have these guys connect arms or hold hands or whatever they're doing there. And uh, the reason I have them is because at the end of the day, guys, we need each other. And at the end of the day, listen, this is how we fill in the gaps. Are y'all following me? L- listen, I can walk in a room and I can give you a big, let's go for that. Right? And I love it. The other day we were in a meeting and, and uh, Vicky and I are more kind of along those lines. Uh, and I know she's kind of worked the other way to try to get a little better. But I like the fact that Angelo was in there and, and Miss Cheryl was in there because those are our detail people. And those are the people that come and say, you know what, Pastor, we're going to help you fill in the gap here. Y'all follow me? That's why we need each other. Amen. Amen. Sorry. Right, so listen, if you're sitting here this morning, you think, uh, man, I've made so many excuses of why I can't. Or, or if you're or if you're doing this, man, I, I continue to mentally disqualify myself again and again and again. Or if you just can't get over the hump of feeling inadequate. I want you to know today that you're not the first person that's ever done any of that. Amen. Give these guys a hand really quick. Let them go. Let's look back at the verse we keep looking at, and we're going to look at a different part. But let's go back to Exodus 3. Let's dive bomb in there. And, and this is how we know we're not alone in this. So we've been reading in Exodus 3, and we know that Moses was tending his father-in-law's sheep at the backside of the desert. We know that uh, at a distance he saw a bush that was burning but wasn't burning up. And, and we know that Moses decided to turn and give it a closer look. And as he approached the burning bush, what happened? God spoke at it said, take off your sandals. And, and then what happened? He said, guess what? I, I am uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then God began to say this. Here's what he began to tell Moses. Watch these several verses that are going to pop up here. I want you to notice the key word at the beginning. God begins to speak and he says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their cries. I know their pain and their suffering. Don't miss this. And I and I and I have come down to deliver. Somebody say deliver. To deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. And I will lead them to a good and large land 
flowing with milk and honey. We're going to encourage somebody today. Listen, when Moses hears this, he gets pumped, right? He's excited. He thinks God's plan is a fantastic idea. He thinks it's about doggone time. It's been 400 years. God is finally going to deliver his people. God gives, I mean, Moses gives God those Siskel and Eber two thumbs up, right, for approval. He's excited. And then we come to verse 10. It says this. God says, Moses, now go. For I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. And in that instant, guess what? Most goes from two thumbs up to being, oh, my God, to absolutely petrified like that. Are you all following me? Listen, now what happened in that moment? Moses immediately let all of his weaknesses and inadequacies mentally disqualify him from God's purpose in his life. We know this because the immediate response we see in verse 11. Watch this. It says, but Moses protested against Donald Trump. Just kidding. All right. But Moses protested to God. I'm sorry. Here we go. People are funny. All right. Here we go. Moses said this. He said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Did you get that? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Did Moses just miss the point? It's like, did he read the memo wrong? Did he listen to the voicemail incorrectly? You you know, here he is. Watch this. This is so awesome. Because he misinterpreted what God just said. He He missed the context of it. He gets in this crazy conversation with God that I think isn't so different than what we do with him. Watch this. God says, hey, boy, go. And Moses says, I, I, I can't do it. And God says, what? I will be with you. Watch this. Moses asks, okay, whatever. So, so when I come to the children of Israel, who should I say sent me? It's like, boy, did he not just say, I, I'm going to go with you, right? And, and, and then God says this. He said, get all the elders together and tell them that I am, that Yahweh has sent you. And here's what he's going to do. We roll into chapter 4. And Moses asks, But what if they don't believe me? It's like I can see God just. We say, Jesus, help me. He might have even said it at that moment, right? Jesus, help me. So God replies, Moses, what's in your wallet? And I'm like, all right, so Moses, what's in your hands, right? And then Moses gives the answer what we would give to our wallet. Not much. Anyway, so anyway, all right, having fun. It says, not much, it's just my plain old ordinary shepherd's staff. God says, throw it down. Moses throws it down. It turns into a snake. He jumps back. And then God says, Moses, quit acting crazy. Reach down there and grab that thing by the tail. Right? And Moses picks it up. Right? And as he picks it up, it turns right back into a staff. And then what happens? God thinks, I'm going to have to give this poor boy something else. God says, Moses, put your hand inside your cloak and pull it out. He does it, and what happens, his hand turns as white as snow, and it says that's leprous, and his eyes go as big as saucers. He's freaking out. And God says, hurry up, put that thing back in there. So he hurries up, puts it back in, pulls it out, and he it went back to normal. Are you all with me today? I don't know, I'm losing my mind. Here we go. All right, so anyway, so, so, so here's the thing that's crazy. You would think at that moment, as soon as Moses exhales this sigh of relief, okay, my hand's back normal, you would think that, you know what, man, God's done enough, that would be the end of it. He's absolutely convinced. But then Moses, being as bright as he is, says this. God, you know I'm not very good with words, right? He says, I get tongue-tied real easy. God gives a frustrated response. Literally, you can read it in the Bible. He says, who has made man's mouth? 
And then Moses has the audacity to tell God after all of that. You got to remember, he's still standing in front of the bush, right? He says, um, God, I, I think you really need to consider sending someone else. Then the Bible says that God became angry with Moses. I didn't make that up. The Bible says it. That God became angry with Moses. And at that point, Aaron entered into the plan. So why did all this happen? Because Moses just couldn't see past his own limitations. Listen, listen. he couldn't see past his weaknesses to see God's power and his plan at work. Do you get that? It was almost like his... His purpose was, I mean, his weaknesses were so enlarged that they literally blinded him from seeing the plan of God and the power of God right, working right in front of him. See, Moses was so worried about what might happen, he didn't hear God tell him what would happen. Man, that's so true. How many times has he done that with us? Are, are, you, are you following me? That, that literally is like this. Let me maybe say it, say it like I really want to say it. If you can imagine that God comes and God says, okay, son, okay, daughter, I want you to do this. And then we go, <laughs> freak out. And, and what happens is because we see our limitations, we think, well, I can do that part and I could do that part and maybe I can do that part. And we limit God so much. Well, what happens is we bring God down to our ability. Preach, preacher. We bring it down to our abilities and we go, okay, this is what God really told me to do. No, he told you to do this. No, nope, he told me to do that. No, nope. no. But what happens is, is once again, we compare him to ourselves. We act like our strengths are God's strengths and we forget that he is the omnipotent one, that he is the all-powerful one that dwells within us. Right? He has no weaknesses. So watch this. Literally, let me say what happens because this is truth. God speaks, and then we go, yeah, God, but what if so-and-so thinks this? What if so-and-so does this? What if this happens, God? And we begin to live in so much what-ifs that are so hypothetical, and, and, and that's what he was doing. What if they don't believe me? God, God prompts you, go tell them about me. But what if they don't believe what I say? You get so caught up in the what-ifs. What if they know more than me? Are y'all following me today? So what happens is, is Moses was so focused on his weaknesses and his hypothetical what ifs that he didn't even notice. Watch this. Please don't miss this. That God never said he was going to be the deliverer. We say that. Prince of Egypt says it. He even has a song about it. But God never said that. They lied to us in Sunday school. Do you get that? That God never said one time in that, passion, in that portion of Scripture that he was going to be, that Moses was going to be the deliverer. He simply said, guess what, boy? You get to be a part of this plan. Yeah. See, God himself would be the one that would, that would actually be doing the delivering, not Moses. See, get this, that, that all Moses had to do was be in the right place at the right time, say what needed to be said, and then all he had to do was get out of the way and watch God shake entire country. That was it. That, that literally all Moses had to do was show up, deliver a message, and then sit back, have a front row seat, and watch God move. See, this morning I was over here, and I, you know, and I woke up feeling like, God, why am I about to preach when I'm about to preach? I'm sitting and I'm praying because it's my spot, right? Because I've got my kids right there. I can tame them in Jesus' name. And 
I'm praying, and I'm all freaking out about what i got to preach today. And then I remembered that. All i got to do is show up, be in the right place at the right time, and say what God told me to say, and leave the results up to Him. You know, follow me. So I began to pray when I'm preaching, and I felt a whole lot better. <laughs> it's the truth. All right, so watch this. We're almost done. Got four things. I just I got four things I want to tell you about. We're we're we're, we're transitioning to closing. Here we go. I can't since I we're almost done. But here we go. Four things I really want to tell you. I said all of that to kind of get to this point. Here's the things that have just been kind of sitting on my heart this week that I want to share with you. Okay. I believe we are hindered from fulfilling the will of God for our lives. Number one, because if it was up to us, we would have never chose ourselves. We would have never chose ourselves. I, listen, I can stand before you today, and I could give you a list of a whole lot of people that would do a much better job, in my mind, at this position. That, that li- literally, sometimes I'm too honest, but I'm going to be really honest with you. There's been times in the last year and seven months that I went, you know what? Maybe so-and-so could come, and I could just be associate pastor with them. Not that I want to leave. But, but maybe somebody else needs to lead. And what happens is it's in that moment where I have my weak, weak moments and I feel so inadequate. And they don't last long. But they, they don't because I have to remind myself in the Lord of what we talked about earlier. No, God, you sent me here. You, you didn't speak to them. You spoke to me. Are, are you following me? So, so listen, it, it's once again because we wouldn't choose ourselves. Let's go back to Exodus 4.13. This is New Living Translation. It says, but Moses again pleaded. Lord, please send anyone else. Get the word, any, anyone. God, anyone else. See, Moses was trying to say, God, I would have never chose me for this task. Surely there's got to be somebody else more qualified. Have you ever felt like that? Man, I have. Listen, here's the thing. Sometimes we don't believe the promise because we're too busy looking at ourselves when we should be looking at the promiser. God promises and said, listen, he said, Moses, he said, I'm sending you. I'm going to be with you. And you're going to be astonished because signs and wonders are going to happen. People are going to be delivered. And the promise was, as is this mountain, as he stood there at the 8,000 foot Mount Sinai, as he said, guess what? You're, you're, uh, you're going to bring the people back here to worship. It will be a sign that everything I said to you was true. It was a promise that he could bank on. But what happened was he couldn't see the promise because he was too busy looking at himself. And he got his eyes off the promiser. And he started seeing him as not the promiser as deliverer, but himself as the deliverer. Listen, I learned a long time ago in ministry, I can't save anybody. I have laid hands on people. God's healed them. Honestly, it wasn't because of me. Because I don't get it. Right? I have literally walked up and I have, I have led probably hundreds of people to the Lord by having a conversation with them. Hundreds. And I don't know how in the heck it happened. I don't. I don't know how God can take some foolishness of words and penetrate their hearts so they see him, and then they go, man, i got to have Jesus. I don't get it. Right? You, you know, I mean, literally, that there's been times where you just show up, and he does his thing, and you walk away, and you go, that was cool. <laughs> but that's the cool part about partnering with him. He's just looking for a vehicle. He's just looking for somebody to move through. You, you know, I picture myself personally as a doorway that God's power comes through. 
So that when I come and I pray for someone and I touch them, I'm not thinking there's something special from Quentin coming here. I just see myself, you know, guess what? Jesus dwells within me. He's going to move through that, the conduit. He's going to touch people. Amen? Watch this. I want to just think about this for a second. Would we have ever chosen Jonah to lead a revival among the Ninevites? Here's what's so interesting. True story. Is this guy hated the Ninevites. Right? Read the story. He hated them. That's why he refused to go to them. God gave him a promise that I want to do this. He said, God, I don't like those people. I'm going to get on that boat and I'm going to Tarsus. And then, all right, so anyway, so listen, here's what's so funny. Just side story. I don't know why I'm going to share this with you, but but when I was when I was in school, I used to go to uh, from time first grade, to sixth grade. I went to school with this kid named Mark. Mark's dad was a uh, police officer in in downtown Birmingham in a place called Gate City. And if you've ever heard of, uh, you know, Compton, Los Angeles and, uh, you, you know, basically the crime rate that's in Compton. That place superseded Compton. It was that bad per capita as far as murders and all that. And, and, and uh, Mark's dad uh, was a very racist man. He hated black people, hated them. And inside of him, this is his words, not my words, he found joy of beating them. Until one day, the man got born again. And you know what God did? He said, okay, Mr. Maddox, guess where I'm about to send you? Go to Nineveh. He went back to Gate City, knocking on doors. Here's the love of Jesus. Here's the love of Jesus. And, he, and God gave him a ministry in that city that he once hated. You all follow me? Who would have ever picked that man to go do that? Listen, would we have ever chosen Gideon to lead 300 people into a war Against an army that was as numerous as the, this is the Bible, as numerous as the sand upon the seashore. Here's Gideon, the guy shaking in his boots in a wine press, scared to death. He says, go take these 300 guys and, and guess what? Go to an army that you can't even count. It wasn't like he went 300 against 500 and it was just a good day. But the guy shows up with what? With his torch, his trumpet, and his vase. Come on, man. <laughs> Laugh at the dude, right? And he goes, hey, when I count, you know, we're going, boop, right? And what happens? That army of seashore people, right, as numerous as seashore, uh, freaked out, turned on themselves, and started stabbing each other, and they wiped themselves out. Right place, right time, just did what God told them to do, and God did the rest. Amen. So think about, would we have ever, and I know we keep talking about it, but would we have ever chosen Moses, get this, an 80-year-old broken shepherd to deliver an entire people group from a grasp, what, of one of the mightiest kings that has ever lived? Would we have ever chosen? No. Would we have ever chosen David, a shepherd boy, to go kill Goliath, the great champion? Would we have ever chosen any of the disciples to go turn the world upside down? Would we have chosen the religious murderer named Saul to become one of the greatest apostles that's ever lived? Probably not. Listen, but they were God's pick. Hear this today, but I want you to hear about somebody else. I want you to hear it about yourself. 
Thankfully, God doesn't operate from the same criteria we do. Think about it for a second. If we came up here and said, okay, we got this massive task, and we began to survey the crowd, we'd go, eh, nobody qualifies. And that's why nothing ever gets done. Or nothing would get done. But thankfully, guess what? God doesn't use the same criteria. Why? Because he knows how to look beneath the service. He knows how to look deep into our hearts. And that's where he finds the qualities that he's looking for. And that's where he makes his choice. You all follow me today? Somebody turn to your neighbor and say this with unction. Say, God. Oh, let's say it like we believe it. Say, God chose me. No, me. That proves right there that you would never believe that God would choose you. Come on, turn to your neighbor and decide who's going to go first. If you got your first, say, oh, yeah. All right, first person, say this. Say, God chose me. All right, second person, you ready? Say, God chose me. Some of y'all might want to wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and tell yourself that for the next 40 days. Until you begin to believe it. Amen? Here's your verse, in fact, you can put on that. Isaiah 41, 9 and 10. It said, God chose me that he did not reject me. You get that? Isaiah 41, verses 9 to 10. It says in verse 9, it says that God has searched the four corners of the earth, and he has chosen me. He has not rejected me. And then it says, do not be uh, dismayed, for I am your God. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will strengthen you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a great verse, right? Especially if you're here today and and you struggle with rejection. That's a great verse to pray over yourself. Watch this. God never says this. I want you to think about this. When we would look back and go, and go, uh, I wouldn't choose myself. I want you to think, God doesn't think this way. He never looks at you and goes, you know, after a thorough inspection of all your strengths and weaknesses, I've come to the conclusion that you've done a marvelous job at fixing all of your deficiencies. Therefore, due to all of your great efforts and outstanding results, I have now chosen that you might be of some use to me. Thank God he's not a geek like that. Amen. Number two. God, this is huge. Okay, y'all going to have to hear this for grace. I'm going to have to work on it a little bit here, kind of give you balance. But God never removed Moses' weakness. Some of y'all don't believe that. Watch this. Exodus 4.10. says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. Get that. I never have been. He might have been from Alabama. I never have been, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. In other words, he's saying this. God, I couldn't speak well before I encountered you, and guess what? I still can't. Watch. How many times have we got before the Lord and pleaded with the Lord? Lord, please take this weakness. Once again, not sin, okay, and not personality, whatevers, but, but the side that just how he made you. 
and say, God, would you somehow fix that? Will you alleviate that problem from me? And God comes with power and he comes with all that. And you get up and you think, whoo, and then you do what you couldn't do before. Wrong. The weakness is still there. Anybody with me on that? Does that make sense? And what happens is, is we think in that moment, well, maybe I'm not spiritual enough. Maybe I didn't have enough faith. And what happens is, is had nothing to do with your faith. It just had to do with how God works. Let me explain to you, okay? Here we go. All right. Got to skip something here. Why does God do that? Think about this. Because if there was never an obvious flaw in us, how would people ever look past us to see that's really him accomplishing everything? Do you get that? Welcome back. All right. (laughs) Because if there was never an obvious flaw in us, how would people ever look past us to see that it's really him accomplishing everything? Amen. (laughs) You haven't told me I'm preaching now yet, so you might have to help me in a minute. (laughs) You wait for the moment when I really do it. Look, I have like probably one of my favorite Disney movies of all time is Mary Poppins. Love Mary Poppins. Just oh, awesome, right? And, and Mary Poppins, sorry if that disappoints you. Um, so, uh, but I love the fact that Mary Poppins, she says, I'm nearly perfect in every way. And there's this idea throughout the movie that Mary can't do wrong. Am I right? So, so what happens is throughout the movie, we're watching it, and all we see is Mary. Right. Dick Van Dyke. He's just Dick Van Dyke. Right. And the kids are kids. But but, you know, a spoonful of medicine or sugar helps the medicine go down. She's got an answer for everything. If we live like that, where we were nearly perfect in every way, how would people ever look past us and say, man, God's got to be on their lives? Does that make sense? But but it's but it's the fact that I can look and go, you know what? I know Roger's not perfect, but man, God's really moving in these areas in his life. That, that, watch, if, if I looked at Miss Donna and I said, man, she just prayed for 25 people and every one of them got healed. And I don't see that, you know, I think she's perfect. Then I would go, oh, we need to worship Donna. No, it's, it's because Donna's not perfect. We get to look past her and go, wow, Jesus was awesome. Am I making any sense to you guys? Now, now listen, this doesn't mean that, this doesn't mean that God doesn't uh, change us or help us grow or, or, you know, it's not that, you know, if we, if we stink at something really bad, you know, like the J's, okay, that, that if, if you're a P and you're like, man, I can't organize anything, you don't, you don't say this. Well, I'm a P, I'll never be able to organize anything. You're using your personality as a handicap then. You need to say, you know what, this is an area I need to grow in. I may not ever be a, a full-blown J, but I can grow and improve in this area. So, Holy Spirit, will you help me? Because there are parts of what you've got to do. You've got to be able to show up on time. Like, let me just give you an example off the top of my head here. If you're telling somebody, you're talking to an unbeliever, and you say, man, I'll meet you at 1 o'clock at uh, 3 dogs, and we're going to talk about Jesus. And you show up at 2 o'clock because you're a P and you're just enjoying the journey, and they're not there, you miss the moment. So there's parts that need to, we, we need all of those. All right? Yes? All right. Vicki, if I'm letting you down here, I'm sorry. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm playing. Here we go. All right, listen. 
Many times we believe that if we could just have an encounter with God, our weaknesses would disappear. But once again, go back to Moses. God never fixed, never removed, never alleviated Moses' weaknesses. God left him with his inabilities intact and still chose to partner with him in spite of them. You get that? Thank God for that. Amen. Now, watch this. Uh, here's what we do, though. As, as we recognize our weaknesses, as we all should, there comes a place where we still surrender them to the Lord. And say, Lord, I recognize that that's there. And, and here's what happens, and I, I'm so thankful for this. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says this. It says, uh, my, that's God talking. He says, my grace is all you need. And then he said, or sufficient. Yeah, it depends on translation. Then he says, my power works best in weakness. Hallelujah. It says, so now I, this is Paul. Once again, the greatest apostles ever lived. I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Now, let me give you two stories, and I really got to pick up the pace here. Let me kind of give you a balance here. Okay, Moses, we know what he was talking about is, man, I can't talk. I have a stuttering problem. I had it, you know, there's this mindset that he didn't have that in Egypt, but right there, he said, I had it in Egypt. Okay, and now I still got this thing after I encounter with you. And God says, I'm going to leave you with that. Because once again, so I can show myself strong. But watch this. I've told you guys a lot about Smith Wigglesworth. Um, Smith Wigglesworth was a, was a plumber until the age of 40. I think I'm right with that. Maybe a little bit older. But uh, Smith was, Smith's wife was actually the preacher. Okay? So, so Polly was the one that actually would preach at, at the Salvation Army. Tons of people get saved. I mean, Polly was, a, was an absolute powerhouse in the kingdom. And, and so she would always ask Smith, Smith, uh, you, you, need, you need to preach this week. You need to preach. So he prepares a little message, and he'd get up in front of the people, and he would start talking, and he would start stuttering so bad because he was so nervous. He would basically throw down the mic, and he would run off the platform because he was so scared and so ashamed. Fast forward, and, and Polly would have to get up and kind of finish his stuff. Fast forward in the story, uh, the night that he got baptized in the Holy Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues, that stuttering left him and God healed him and he never started again for the rest of his life and then he became one of the greatest uh, healing evangelists the world's ever known now follow me now watch this I worked with a young man he actually came here and preached Pastor Josh Pastor Josh has one of the worst stuttering problems of a, of a person I've ever met do you guys remember him stuttering he will talk to you and if he gets nervous he'll start stuttering especially when he'd have to come to my office and he was nervous to tell me something he would start stuttering real bad. But when that boy would get up and preach, the anointing would come. And you know what it calls to every one of us around him? Man, that's God. God didn't remove from him. He just still partnered with him in the middle of it. So watch this. Let me ask you a question today. If the encounter at the burning bush didn't remove Moses' weaknesses, what was the purpose of it? Number three. Here we go. So that he would catch on fire. Let me explain. Sometimes God will allow us to encounter a burning bush so that we can become one. Somebody say fire spreads. See, there's this part of when we get around God, and the Bible says this, that our God is a consuming fire, right? That you can't help but to get around him and not leave from his presence and burn for him. You can't. It's impossible. The more you're in that refiner's fire, the more you're in the fire of God with him, the more you're going to be like him. 
Amen. Because that fire is going to spread onto you. So, so God, all he's asking this gang is just to stand still long enough in his presence so he can set our hearts on fire. That's it. Amen. Listen, ask your neighbor this morning and say, are you burnable? See, there's some simple things, and I'm probably not going to go, go down the list, but there's some simple things that, that qualify if you're burnable. You know, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite things to do is to actually start a fire in my backyard, like in the fire pit, and have a good time with kids. I love a campfire. It's probably my, fa- my favorite thing probably about camping other than the hiking to get there is the fire and sitting around and the fellowship that happens around that. But I can't tell you how many times I've uh, went out in the backyard, whatever, and it rained two days before, and everything's just soggy and wet, and it's so hard to start a fire. Are you following me? See, see what happens is, is uh, the more you get around the presence of God, that stuff that, let me just say it, that sin-soakedness of the world, the more you get with him, kind of comes off of you, and then you can catch on fire. Am I making any sense? So the qualifications that, that really make us burnable is this, is are we dried up? And I don't mean spiritually, but are we dried up from the world? Right? Is, is, the, is the hand of, of, of the world on us or is it not? And then the, the second side is are we just ordinary enough? Do we see ourselves as ordinary enough? And then lastly, we just need a simple love for God. Because you see with Moses, and you see this here, but Moses had been reduced to a simple love for God. That's what that desert did to him. Simple love for God, and then what? That's all he had to offer, and that's all that God needed to set him on fire. What are you offering him today? Number four, here we go. This is really important and really, really simple. All this is so simple. Number four, God wants to know what's in your hand. If you want to replace hand for life, I'm fine with that. But what's in your life? What's in your hand? See, if you know it or not, God is the master of taking the ordinary and turning it into the extraordinary. So often when we look at our weaknesses and we look at who we are, we just see ourselves as ordinary. But God, just like he did with Moses, where he reached out, he said, hey, boy, what's in your hand? Plain old staff. I've been using it for 40 years. It's my favorite one. God said, give it to me. And then watch this. Because God touched it, that thing became to represent the power of God, not just to Moses, but to two nations. Do you understand that? That that stick, that simple doggone stick, he is slap a sheep in the butt with it, grab it by the neck. That thing represented the power of God to the Egyptians and to the Israelites. That's crazy, isn't it? Listen, you see, while we are all concerned about what we don't have, God wants to know what we do have. He wants to know, he wants to know this game. Will you surrender it to me? Will you give me your life? Will you give me your talents? Will you give me your abilities? Will you put them in my hand? Will you allow me to touch them and to transform them so that they can be of use to my kingdom? Let, let me kind of give you an example of this. In Matthew 15, don't turn there, but just listen. In Matthew 15, we're going to close in three minutes. We see that, that here's Jesus. Jesus has been teaching the multitude. And, uh, and after he's done teaching, the disciples come to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, uh, look, you've been talking a long time, really long time. You've been preaching, and I'm noticing some people are rubbing their bellies. They're really hungry. When I walked through the crowd a while ago, I could hear some stomachs growling. He said, You need, you need to send them away so they get something to eat. And Jesus turns to the disciples, and he says this, They don't need to go away. Then he said this, you give them something to eat. Uh-oh. When he said that, disciples responded, what? Out of their limited resources. And here's what they said. We 
only have five loaves of bread and two fish. What's your only this morning? What's your only? 500 to 700 things, and you can pick out a few. What's your only? Well, um, God, I got a good smile. You'd be a great greeter. Watch this. I cannot tell you how many people in this church and the church I came from that said when they walked through the door because there was someone there that greeted them with a smile and was nice to them, had a good personality. When they shook their hand, they felt the love of God hit them, and it literally changed their life. There were some people literally, and Jen will tell you, people that came to our old church in North Carolina and said, I'm going to go to church one more time, and if God don't show up, I'm going to go home and kill myself. And they came to the door because somebody shook their hand and hugged them. The love of God hit them. And they end up giving their life to Jesus. And guess what? They're alive today. Are you with me? And we think, well, that's just a greeter. No, you don't ever go, well, I'm only a greeter. Are you all with me today? Somebody goes like this. They say, "Um, I kind of like kids. That's not an only. Listen, how... How amazing would it be? Here, let me just give you a, a stat. Do you realize it's like 90% of the people that get saved get saved before they're 18 years old? And they think, well, i got to go down there with the kids. They're probably in a greater ministry in the church. Y'all getting quiet on me. You know, that, that would be like Lindley saying this. Well, well you know, I, I kind of fix cars. Do you know how many people this man has helped because he knows how to fit car, fix cars? Yeah. So, so listen today. We can go. Well, well, I, you know, I well, I, I kind of, I can kind of be a carpenter. I kind of build some stuff. Now, how many people need help in that? that can't afford it. Yeah. I mean, little, I mean, just go down the list of what you what you think your only is, and, and, and realize this. In fact, here, here's here's the verse keeps coming to mind. When, when uh, Jesus walked into Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law was there sick, what happened? The Bible says, Jesus touched her and she got up and served him. Why does he touch us? So we will get up and we will serve him. But what do we serve him with? We don't serve him all the time out of our great, we, we got our only. And here's what's so amazing. Jesus said this. Watch this. They said, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus replies, watch this. His reply was, then bring me the little you have. Isn't that amazing? We all know the rest of the story. What happens? He feeds 5,000, not families, men. That does not count the women and the children that were in the mix with A few loaves and a few fish, some little, some only. So what happens is, once again, guys, listen to me, okay? I can't can't make that connect for you. But whatever your only is, you say, well, I can organize. Well, I can do whatever it is. Once again, 700 things you can do. Whatever your only is, put it in the master's hand. Isn't that the point? That you take your little and you give it to Jesus and let him do what only he can do with it. That he can somehow say, Father, I thank you for this and bless it and give it back to you and let you go for the kingdom. Thanks, man. (laughs) Do we really believe he can do anything? 
Listen, it's this thing that God wants to use the little we have to accomplish extraordinary things. That he fully intends to use us as we are with our inabilities intact to accomplish his will on this earth. Watch this. Once again, that's through our weaknesses that his powers may perfect. It's our weakness that helps reveal his greatness that we want God to do what? We all want God to do away with our deficiencies. I'm just reading a bunch of things I have left here. But God leaves it what God leaves it in place so that others can clearly see his power at work in us. Once again, it's all about him, not about us. Amen. So it's kind of this idea that you're sitting here today to understand that you need to just move. You need to go with what you know and what you have and let God mature you as you go and things will get better and, and, and you'll, you know, more fruit and all those things. But, but somewhere you got to start. Yeah. L- listen, if you don't know what to do, come see me. There's a lot to do. There's a lot. So, I mean, think about this. Uh, you know, we got stretched back there, scratching his face. All right, the man, he's, he's awesome. So, <laughs> great musician. But today, was he doing everything? No, nope, he did his part. He played the bass. He didn't play the drums. He wasn't Dick Van Dyke, right? <laughs> Go watch Mary Poppins. Okay, he's a one-man band. But listen, that, that, you know, Michael was on the drums. The Kim and Rachel were playing keys. That Michael was playing the acoustic, Tommy was playing the electric, and Jen and Michael were singing. He was just doing his part. That's the way we join arms and we move together. And there's a lot more joining arms that needs to happen around here. Yeah. Amen? So, so listen, if you go, man, all I can do is pray. All I can do is counsel. All I can do, bring your only. Okay? And all of it doesn't have to happen here. Some stuff happens in the church. Much happens outside of the church. Amen? Amen. So once again, let me just kind of reiterate what God said to you. He said, I'm sending you. I will be with you. Do not fear. These signs will accompany you. Go. Amen. Let's close our eyes. Amen. There was something in that for you. Throw both hands up. Yeah. Jesus, as our hands are up today. Father, that's our uh, faith part at this moment of just handing you our little. God, and help us today not to get so caught up in what we don't have. Lord, let us fix our gaze on what we do have. And God, let us give it to you, God, even as, as our hands are up, not only just to give it to you, but God, also an act of surrender that says, God, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. God, take it, God, and use it for your glory. And Father, we just ask today, God, that as our hands are up, God, that you would give us courage Lord, to step out and do something with it. God, don't let us uh, think, well, i got to get this, this, and this, and this in order before I can do something for the kingdom. If we're born again, if our lives are right with you, God, we can do something now. Now, listen, all hands down, all eyes closed. If you're here today, and, and uh, the truth is, is all this stuff is great, but unless you're right with God, none of it will ever bear fruit in your life. So if you're here today, I'm going to ask you real quick. If you know you're not right with God... Uh, and you want to get right with God, uh, man, just throw your hands up and say, man, pastor, i got to get right with Jesus today. So anybody that says, i got to get right with him. Amen. I'll talk to you afterwards, man. Father, I just thank you today for every person that's here. Lord, I thank you for the plan and the purpose that you have for their lives. Father, I thank you for the gifts that they are to the kingdom. Lord, I pray, God, that as we lock arms together, God, as a representation of your body, Father, that you would move mightily in this region. In Jesus' name, amen.